1: Hi, I'm Chinny.
0: And I'm Astrid, and welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that widens access to African history. We're also the co-authors of a book by the same name. You can find out more information about us on itsacontinent.com.
1: We're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country by appreciating the identity of each nation. Through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. Hello and welcome to another episode of It's a Continent. We are back.
0: Yes, we are back with the rest of season seven. Let's yes. do this. Let's. Go. Ginny did actually forget what season we were doing. I thought it was season two.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, time just flies when you're having so much fun. Oh,
0: wow. Wow. Really throwing it out there with an oldie. <laughs> um, but no, we are honestly super. I'm really excited to be back. Definitely. Very excited. I've got new glasses. Yes. I'm loving life. Nobody can see it apart from Trini, But yes.
1: Yeah. We are loving life. It's all good.
0: Summer and it's was my delivered late. soon. Yes. So,
1: yes. September and October's very own. Mm-hmm. So we're very, very excited. Yeah. Let's kickstart it. Let's do this. Okay. So this week's African Pride goes to two people, Victor Ossimen and Asisa Oshola who have been nominated for the Ballon d'Or, making Nigeria the first African country to have a nominee in both the men's and women's category in the same year. So I know that, you know, it's a football reference for you. So, I actually uh, know. Oh, you the don't, okay. D- oh. <laughs> <laughs> Can you please
0: sit back down? So, oh, okay. All right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But of course, I, as you were reading it, I was like, of course she's picked a football reference. Of but I'm course. But like, i have heard of the Ballon d'Or. Right, so. yeah. Got it's it's a, it.
1: Yes, and for those of you who haven't, it is a prestigious award and it recognises the best footballers in the world every season. So Osimen is the first Nigerian men's player to be nominated since 1999. Bonus points, if you can guess who that was. That was Arsenal's Nwanku Khanu. And congratulations. And let's see how they place at the end of October so this week we are in nigeria again um
0: (laughs) this is our third trip or fourth
1: well we kind of touched on nigeria a little bit in the oil because you can't talk about oil without without nigeria Nigeria. so this is the fourth visit (laughs) wait is it (laughs) so i check i don't think no it it is
0: It is. It is actually our fourth trip to Nigeria.
1: Don't worry, we are covering other countries.
0: Hey, we've got seven seasons of other countries. This is not a...
1: It's a lot. It's a big population. Big Mm -hmm. population. A lot of things have happened. So today we are focusing on the Aba Women's War, which took place in southeastern Nigeria in 1929. These events are regarded as the prelude to the African nationalism movement in decades to come. So the setting at the time, Nigeria had recently been created in 1914, following a merging of the South and North protectorates, which we discussed in our first ever episode. Uh, and it's crazy to think that, yeah, Nigeria has only just existed for just over 100 years, really. So, And by this point, the colonialism machine was in top gear. So Britain following the coloniser handbook to a T. So we'll be looking at southeastern Nigeria and the predominant ethnic group in the area, the Ibo people. There are also other ethnic groups involved in the war, including the Ibibo and Afik people who spoke different languages. And this unison of southeastern Nigerian women was based on an inclusive gender identity and a response to outside threats to women's interests. Britain remained unaware of key information surrounding where the women would strike next, leaving them exposed. By 1929, restrictive colonial practice affected those in southeastern Nigeria, as traditional Ibo and Southeastern Nigerian women realised their relations and societal structures were much weaker. So previously, the political structure in Ibo land centred around ma, which is wealth, health, productive and reproductive capacities, and these were tied directly to the market space. Prior to colonisation, the Makiri was a forum allowing women the chance to gather for political kinship and market regulation issues as a way of providing support to women making the grievance. Igbo people didn't have a rule on who had a voice in these forums. On occasion, women were invited to speak on issues that concerned them. And whilst women were not seen as completely equal to men at this point, their rights were based on their achievements rather than that of their husbands.
0: Women felt that British intrusion threatened their physical and financial well-being. Increased palm kernel and oil production coupled with a decrease in men participating in the production of staple crops or fishing activities, were linked to British factories being built for the men to hold menial jobs in. Missionaries also encouraged women to take on European domesticated roles in the home, being told to raise their children, rather than hold an active political voice. This was now seen as a domain for men. Mikiri was now seen as a pagan activity, with women discouraged from participating. Women were excluded from the legal system with their contributions minimised. At this point, the women decided that this situation called for drastic measures, specifically to tackle and address the now apparent gender imbalance. The way in which these women took on the colonial establishment was a way they were familiar with and a common Ibo custom known as sitting on a man.
1: I like that term. (laughs)
0: sitting on a <laughs> okay <laughs> if you're gonna give it a name give it that why not why not in pre-colonial Igbo society men who didn't value or respect women were at risk of being shunned by the community yeah you've got to be giving us
1: respect Jeez. a little respect when i get home mm-hmm. yeah
0: <laughs> wow. you're in your music bag today <laughs> jeez really going for it <sighs> There was a long-held Igbo method of public shaming a man by going to his compound or place of work. The women would follow the shamed man every and anywhere, okay? Their faces painted and often wearing loincloths and ferns on their heads. They would invade the shamed man's personal space and sing songs based on grievances the man committed. Often, women would sing and dance around the workplace the walls of his homes with stones and even tear down their roof.
1: I think this would have made for a better society, to be honest, if this practice still happened.
0: This is so giving me Jasmine Sullivan, bust your window. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's her inspiration. Not gonna
0: lie, I've been listening to that song quite a bit the past couple <laughs> yes, of weeks. I hear it. What were the reasons a man might be subjected to the sitting on a man practice? If the man was found to be mistreating his wife, allowing his cows to eat crops the women are to harvest, breaking the market rules or causing marital disputes the women would collectively consult with the makiri other men in the village would watch a man being sat on and not come to their rescue as they believed the man would have brought the punishment from the women upon himself So, the, oh, they were solidarity literally out here just sitting <laughs> I thought when I, when I read sitting on a man I just thought that was just a general concept they were literally also sitting on oh, these men oh, oh no no <laughs> no yeah.
1: As in terms of once they're watching the men are just watching, uh, you know, the women following this man.
0: Oh, okay. And the other men Um, are like,
1: yeah, okay, that's punishment. That's him being...
0: Okay, the experience is being... Okay, now... Oh,
1: yeah, it wasn't a wrestling type.
0: No, (laughs) (laughs) completely different. I'm with you. The whole... the guy being followed to work. Yeah. You know, stones being thrown at his house. Yeah. It's all part of sitting. It's all part There was of not sitting. a point where he was literally being not sat vis- on. No. Okay. No,
1: he wasn't We've restrained. <laughs> it's
0: like, you cannot cheat ever again because yeah. i am sat on you, okay? Yeah. <sighs> I, I love, love the
1: solidarity from the I men. definitely, yeah.
0: The men are like, I'm here for it. Hey, if you're going to be out there doing that foolishness. That's mm-hmm. a you problem.
1: On the morning of November 23, 1929 in Oloko, southeastern Nigeria, a dispute erupted between a senior woman, Ngwanyarua, and Mark Emerua, who worked on behalf of the colonial government. Ngwanyarua was extracting palm oil in her husband's compound in the village when Emerua interrupted. His boss, Chief Okugo Okezi, didn't want to be involved in the controversial act of including women in the census for tax purposes so delegated Emerua to do the dirty work for the British. At the time, the financial crash in 1929 had its effect in Nigeria, with hyperinflation and the reduced ability for southeastern Nigerian women to trade. The women asked the colonial government for assurance that they wouldn't need to pay taxes or have their property assessed. An altercation ensued when Mark told Mwanyarua to count her goats, sheep and people, essentially meaning that once it's on the record of how much she has, she'll be taxed based on this fact. Nwanyurua asked, Was your widowed mother counted? Women don't pay tax in traditional Igbo society. She herself was a widow, and she went for the jugular by insulting his mum. Nwanyurua then went to the town square to discuss this incident with other women at oloko ori Market, where some Christian women were holding a meeting after church. Even though these women no longer held traditional beliefs, they united with Nwanyurua on this front. They were outraged and marched to the compound of Mark Amarua to go and sit on a man. They sang and danced in his compound all night. The following morning, the women did the same to Chief Okugo's compound. The chief decided to leave his household involved in the mess rather than come to the assistance or attempt a resolution. This led to a clash with one of the women present claiming she miscarried as a result of a blow from a stick. Word of this attack spread through the markets in Oloko and Okugo ended up being convicted of assault with a two-year sentence the women were really like From an after church mother's meeting too. yeah and they're like okay right, we let's, need to go.
0: Act. let's <laughs> yeah. do this Come, let's go. <laughs> honestly i am all for this female energy I love, it. I love i absolutely love it it's what you need and yeah just community i swear, i feel like as women we have formed the best community mm-hmm. i feel like you just meet a random woman, and you'd just be like, tell her your problem. she will be like, right, let's do this. Let's go sit on a mat. Girls oh my twits. God. Yes, that is that is the place. Girls
1: but, toilets energy. Mm-hmm, that's what
0: they're giving. Yeah. That's what they were given back then. Oh, the number of friends I've made.
1: Do you still message them? Um,
0: no, but I know they're, for, they're yes. there for me. Yeah. They are there. They I are know there. if I go to any bathroom and I find a woman, she is there for She's me. There for She's me. there for me. 100%. The women were determined from here on in with colonial administrators, warrant chiefs and native police hearing reports of supposed sporadic violence. However, we wouldn't necessarily call it violence as the women directed their efforts towards material property in all instances, never against another human. They destroyed land or claimed yams, using grass mats from roofs they removed from property to roast them. They damaged native court buildings, European trading centres and European factories where palm oil would be exchanged for British currency. These were targeted attacks on properties that symbolically excluded women in colonial society. I love that. They have a message behind it. There this. is always it's a not message. not looting and breaking yeah. things down for the sake of it. Let's bring a message. Native court buildings, railroads and telegraph stations and European shops, banks and factories. In this case... European shops sold new and dangerous commodities like manufactured cloth, household goods and packaged foods as well as alcohol and guns. Manufactured items really hurt the women's markets as it meant that the weaving, pottery and food production was no longer as attractive to customers, especially as it would be likely they were undercut. One example was on December 15th, 1929. It's recorded that crowds of the women were, in the colonial words, not ours, scantily dressed in sackcloth, their faces smeared with charcoal, sticks wreathed with young palms in their hands. They burned the native court and sacked and looted the factory, which is a European store, and clerks' houses. They declare that the district officer was born of a woman and as they were women, they were going to see him. I love
1: that. That's the authority.
0: You yeah. are. <laughs> you, are from a, you were born from a woman. Therefore. Therefore. Oh. It's a new meaning of coming to you as a woman, isn't it? Really? Oh my God, that is so true. <laughs> you have come to him as a woman. This needs to be made into like a film.
1: Where is the film? Do you know what I mean? Like super,
0: I would feel, so, I'm feeling empowered just doing this yeah. episode. Gosh, I would get me so riled up actually <laughs> seeing it as a film. Police and troops were sent. Then women ran towards them with frenzied shouts. Fire was opened with a Lewis gun, as well as with rifles, and 18 women were killed and 19 wounded.
1: It's a bit heavy-handed as well here, because the way the women were described is frenzied or, like, scantily dressed, faces Mm. smeared. It's like, oh, you know, who are they? Looking kind of weird, (laughs) basically, from their viewpoint.
0: No, definitely. It's that idea right kind of using those words as to try and depict and create a certain image of how these women were like
1: trying to make them look uh crazy in a sense. The following day a larger crowd of women gathered at the port town of Opobo chanting What is that smell? Death is a smell. Opobo mainland used to be a thriving hub for women's trade known as AFIA. However, upon British rule this site was repurposed as a key site for colonial administration an example where women were displaced for imperial power. They demanded written statements from the district's officer stating that women would not be taxed. Some of the women pushed through a fence separating them from the district's office. As it was a large crowd, the fence gave way. In another example of colonial violence, the lieutenant on duty shot at the crowd, hitting at least 40 women and injuring many more. It is important to note that during the women's war, no Europeans were killed or even badly injured for the entirety of the time. British colonial officials claimed the actions of the women were to blame for imperial heavy-handedness and violence, describing them as howling mobs. Hasn't really, nothing's much has changed here, mm-hmm. has yeah. it? Yeah. But these women were completely unarmed and standing up against colonial power in a way they knew how. In a paper written by E.O. Akpan and VI Ekpo, it notes how it is incredible that government soldiers armed to the teeth could mow down unarmed women without direct provocation, especially as there was no rioting, no looting and no serious disturbances at the time of the shooting.
0: The women's war is an example of colonial authority being challenged through a mass bodily display of female power. The transgressions of European gender roles and apparent nakedness shocked colonial powers in a way similar to what we saw in the Women's March on Grand Bassam Côte d'Ivoire in 1949.
1: In the book, by
0: the way. Oh, it's doing it. I thought, you like, <laughs> can definitely not cover this on the pod. But no, well, um, we'll but we can cover it in the book. It's, it's covered in the book. That's, it's a continent, guys. Link in bio. That's right. Yes. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> Out in hardback, paperback, and also audiobook. Indeed.
1: <laughs> You've rehearsed that one. <laughs> <laughs> said
0: it so many times. I, yeah. The women's rebellion spread over 6,000 square miles, covering over 2 million people calling the area home. In total, at least 55 women were killed by colonial troops. The soldiers left the area at the end of December 1929 and the last patrol left in mid-January 1930, with the women's war seen as successfully repressed. The colonial government enforced collective punishment of the women involved. The Women's War of 1929 is seen as a turning point in anti-colonial resistance, with women in other Nigerian villages starting their own political movements. By the following decade, a new generation of anti-colonial activists emerged, fighting for not only local improvements, but also for all of Nigeria's independence from British rule, which eventually came about on October 1st, 1960.
1: And we've decided to refer to this historical event, the Aba Women's War, as this is a direct translation of what the local women called it, British records refer to this incident as about women's riots but this is based on their belief that it was a bunch of hysterical women doing the most and that's in their words. As they didn't have a language to describe they called it a riot but historians have made a push to call it the women's war to remove the event from a colonial viewpoint and place the women at the heart of the war at the centre of the events. So essentially, it was like a longer version of sitting on a man, except they were sitting on the British government. <laughs> so, but they didn't know how to yeah. how to describe that. But that was the way they knew how.
0: Mm, don't let the British kind of define what you're going to call it. It's a war. It was a women's war. It was war. Yeah. Indeed. Nice. But this it's, is, yeah,
1: it's been great, especially as how it kind of gave way to anti-colonial activists the pan-African movement as we see it, everything that happened in the 40s leading up to the 60s. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a really, really significant event um, that we thought we
0: should highlight. And I'm, as you know, always all for women's stories. So every time Engage. that we... So I love this. I love this. It was really, yeah,
1: interesting. Really Perfect. good stuff. Good. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Um, we will be back in two weeks' time, as ever. We can follow us on
0: Twitter. Oh, sorry, is it X? It's uh, just say Twitter. Say Twitter. Until, I'm sorry, until this generation, st- people start calling it X, we're in like, when we're in 2059, yeah. then we call it X. But for now, Twitter, I'm X sorry. X,
1: formerly Twitter.
0: <laughs> see, is it just you see it in loads of articles? It's like X, formerly known as yeah, Twitter. No, like- Twitter is still Twitter. Well, not,
1: but. We're gonna call it Twitter anyway. Yeah. At It's a Continent on Instagram, at It's a Continent Pod and our website it's constant.com all right see you guys in 2 weeks time see you bye bye